seems to be a world at war with itself and a humanity at war with itself. We are actually um, globally, as a human race, acting in ways which, if you thought in an individual, you'd regard as pathological. <laughs> Starting in the middle of April, the group Extinction Rebellion have organised a series of non-violent direct action protests, most notably bringing central London to a standstill, but these events are continuing around the country. Predictably, they have received a lot of criticism, but they've also received a lot of support. Amongst those arrested at the protests have been a few doctors, despite the reservations of some that this might have a direct impact on their careers. There's also been support from some surprising quarters. One of those is Rowan Williams, Master of Magdalen College, Cambridge, and former Archbishop of Canterbury, the principal leader of the Church of England. I'm Duncan Jarvis, Multimedia Editor for the BMJ. And earlier this week, I spoke to Dr. Williams to find out if he had reservations about supporting a group who will be breaking the law. I certainly did have some pause about it. I'm, I'm associated with more than one institution, the church, you could say, the college. Also, there's my work as the chair of the trustees of Christian Aid. So there were indeed lots of questions about the degree to which I, I might feel I was associating those bodies with something they wouldn't necessarily sign up for. Um, so yes, I, I do understand that hesitation and respect it. But I think what finally pushed me on this was the sheer sense of urgency about the whole question. We have an accelerating global problem. We have an accelerating problem with people who are, it seems, pushing back against any effective action on this. And it's that urgency very much inspired also by the, the protests of so many of our school students about this that made me feel I can't really hide behind other, other commitments and other affiliations and have to say something. And are you hoping that your kind of example will lead others, doctors but, but other people as well, um, to, to support them as well? I hope so, yes. Obviously, as I say, I fully understand people who feel that they they can't do this and they have perfectly honourable reasons for that. But but I would hope that there'll be some who feel that on balance they can do this. And I think it's very interesting that in the light of last week's protests, we have now a parliamentary resolution on the subject of climate emergency, which I think wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for this. So it's not just empty posturing. It's not just virtue signalling. It's not just, as one of my correspondents put it, I think, um, self-dramatising middle-class lovies. <laughs> <laughs> Something is actually being delivered here. Yes, absolutely. Now, we're speaking to you because you co-authored an editorial in the BMJ, and uh, it's not very often that we have um, someone from the, the religious world uh, uh, authoring something in the BMJ. And I just wondered why you chose to write um, with us. One of the most effective motives for change in a good working democracy is what you might call civil society um, networks in general. The, the views, the, um, the pressures and the convictions of professional people with an investment in the well-being of their communities. 
obviously the medical profession is a cardinal example of all that. So to try and bring these these broader social and global questions a little bit more clearly in front of that kind of public and and help them to understand and to, if possible, to advocate around that. That's one of the things which I think is, is a lever of proper democratic process. So if some of these discussions can really be owned by those who are professionally both reflective and engaged in in well-being, I think that's that's a good place to be. Mm, absolutely. And I suppose there's a power in bringing together all the different areas of society and uh, and showing that there is a consensus across a, a lot of different modes of thought about about the issue. Oh, very much so. I think, again, it's it's easy to stereotype protesters and advocates and activists and say, well, it's, it's just a sliver of society. These people don't understand um, the daily pressures people work under. But in fact, just looking at the range of people who've been involved in some of these activities, it's a lot broader than, than many would think. And some of the support that we've had has come from quite unexpected quarters. So to break down that stereotype, to see this not just as a bit of marginal activism by a few enthusiasts, but something which civil society as a whole is getting behind. Again, that's something which, which has the capacity really to to begin to turn the ocean liner around, so I say. Now, um, I mean, as you said, you felt there's a you had the moral imperative to to come out and support Extinction Rebellion and to talk about climate change. Um, lots of the arguments that we make around climate change are very scientific ones, and they they perhaps lack that kind of that moral aspect to them. Um, and I think you know, doctors are very. Or our scientists are very happy talking about the science, but less perhaps about that that other side of it. And I just wonder, you know, as someone who um, is much more as an authority and is much more comfortable talking about that side of it, do you have any advice on um, on making that moral argument, sort of combining it with the scientific one for 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 listeners? It's a good question, and I think I'd. I'd be inclined to push back a bit and say, in practice, uh, both the medical profession in particular and the scientific world in general are not quite as value-free as they might sometimes think they are. They are assuming often certain things about what well-being consists in, about sane and insane directions for the human race to go in. And I, as a a person of faith as a Christian with an ethical perspective on these things to say, well, that, you know, that is precisely what our faith is to do with. It's about the nature of well-being, the nature of a, a sane relationship with the world we live in and its creator, and a sane relationship with one another. So I would say that to the extent that anyone in the medical world or the scientific world is, is asking those questions, what does a sustainable a rational relationship with the environment one another look like to the extent that those questions are on their radar then they are questions that open up these these moral issues i've yet to meet somebody who will simply say all medical and all scientific questions are purely <laughs> functional problem solving of course yes 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 um so given that uh, how do you do you have any advice 
One thing I'd, I've often felt I'd like to say to people in the medical profession, because I think they understand it, is medicine is, is a matter of humanity as well as science. It's, it's very deeply to do with how you manage the ordinary business of living in such a way that you're, you don't act destructively to yourself or others. Just focusing on some of those ordinary things, but against that large canvas of human well-being, I think that's that's something which fits very well into what what the average practitioner is doing. So sort of just carrying on and, and using the skills that they already have. Using the skills that they have and keeping keeping something of the big picture in mind, that it's by those um, often apparently minuscule changes in what we do daily, all of us, that lasting change comes. But for that, for those changes to happen, you do need a bit of a vision, a bit of a sense of where the where the wounds are, as well as where the um, the ointments to be put in. A sense of how the world we're in at the moment seems to be a world which is, as Pope Francis said in his um, encyclical on this, and as the Greek Orthodox patriarch also said, seems to be a world at war with itself and a humanity at war with itself. We are actually um, globally, as a human race, acting in ways which, if you thought an individual, you'd regard as pathological. <laughs> as, as some of these questions swim into view, there's a recognition that the challenges facing the human race these days are such that, as is often said, no one society, no one country can face them alone. But it's equally true that no one profession, no one bit of society can face them alone. To be able to join up the resources of medical and scientific skill, the kind of imaginative and ethical skills that belong in other bits of the, the spectrum, the dimension of faith in its widest sense, to join all those up, because none of them can cope with this alone, has to be part of the answer. One doctor that joined those protests was Alex Armitage. Before he did that, he wrote a he wrote an opinion article for the BMJ explaining why he was supporting the organization's moves. And I'll link to that in the podcast text. Over to Alex. Yes, yeah, so my name is Alex Armitage. I'm a paediatric uh, registrar. I'm subspecialising sub in paediatric emergency medicine. Um, I live in London and I've, um, as well as sort of uh, medical background, I've, I've also got a little bit of a political background. I'm a member of the Green Party and I recently stood in, um, in my local elections and I lost, unfortunately, by one vote um, uh, in, in the local elections in Dalston Ward. Um, and I'm interested in um, environmental, uh, environmental activism and um, you know, concerned about the, um, particularly concerned about the uh, IPCC report came out last year that really said that we have to do something. And looking at the way that the government's not taken sufficient act, action, I decided to join Extinction Rebellion and, and saw the Extinction Rebellion movement as a sort of really well designed, well thought out um, uh, protest, um, you know, uh, strategy that. that um, Looked like to me that it would it would um, it would have a significant effect and uh, and, it, and it's done that and I'm um, uh, interested to sort of continue my involvement and 
and try and uh, try and use the methods that Extinction Rebellion has, has has put forward to try and create, you know, ongoing, lasting, lasting change in our public policy. Before the protests that um, appeared uh, in London um, in the in the past couple of weeks. You wrote um, a blog for the BMJ, an opinion article about, you know, Extinction Rebellion and why you wanted to uh, to support them and you were going to go to the, the protests as well. What was the response to that blog? Did you, um, you know, from colleagues, uh, from your hospital, from, I don't know, your college, uh, did you did you have any response to it? Um, not particularly from my colleagues, Um but um, you know, I, I put the put the um, link to the article out on social media, and I got lots of positive responses to it. I guess mainly from people who are already involved in Extinction Rebellion. Um, really, what I wanted to highlight in the piece was um, was about the sort of the, the the sort of campaigning paradigm that, that Extinction Rebellion puts forward, which is which is basically using using an evidence based. Um, uh, evidence-based strategy in, in terms of protesting, um, which, and I wanted to make the link between, you know, that's what we do in, in medicine. Um, and the, the, one of the sort of most interesting pieces of sociological research was looking at the, the, the Extinction Rebellion strategy, which is called mass participation, civil disobedience. Um, so it's basically a lot of people coming into a city centre, uh, deliberately breaking the law, um, doing so in a, in a peaceful way, um, in a respectful way, um, and um and um looking at looking at how how that as a has, has um fared in history and and seeing that it's been much much more successful than any other any other style of protest now you mentioned the you know violent protests, and obviously that wasn't what happened in london or, or around the world um but with any protest there is a potential that uh you know, you might be arrested um, or, or potentially even charged. Was that something that you worried about before you decided to to join Extinction Rebellion and to to join the protests? Um, about the possibility of arrest, I mean, I, I took a lot of steps to try and get myself into a situation where I was very much in a, in a non-arrestable role. Um, Extinction Rebellion have, have sort of made it quite clear to everyone that you know, if you want to put yourself uh, in in uh, with a risk of getting arrested, and that's that's up to the individual person. Um, and I and I said, you know, because of my because of my work, it would very, make things very difficult if I did get arrested. Um, so I actually volunteered rather than taking part in a roadblock. I volunteered to um, to join the media and messaging group and be a, be one of the spokespeople. So I, I got some really good media training actually from Extinction Rebellion um, and and so I kind of uh, offered myself up to the, the mercy of Sky News and BBC and and Channel 5 and, and various other uh, various other journalists to, to sort of try and explain what Extinction Rebellion were doing and why um, and so um, so whilst I was sort of stepping onto the street and there was a possibility that I could have been arrested I would I was always going to try and avoid doing that um, Right Which now, is a good though, message having, for having done... uh, for other doctors out there that might be worried about joining these kind of protests. You feel like it is possible to to do it um, in, in the way that you have done, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think you know, there's this big fear amongst doctors who who do want to take takes of civil actions, 
and that you, you have to really avoid getting arrested if you want to if you value your career um and um having taken that position at the beginning of um at the beginning of my involvement with extinction rebellion actually looking at the situation now and actually meeting a lot of other doctors who've been involved and actually meeting some doctors who did actually get arrested um i'm perhaps maybe more inclined to see that as a as a viable strategy for me in the future although right now i think um you know certainly as a trainee and as somebody who who um is at a point in, in their career where i want to be getting on and um and finishing my training i don't think that's that would be an appropriate thing to do but i have subsequently met lots of doctors who are who, who certainly would consider getting arrested and and living with the consequences of as that. you said you took a sort of more com spokesman role uh in the protest but that wasn't without um consequence for you either no um so um actually before i wrote the piece for the bmj um i i decided um perhaps foolishly as i as i later agreed with my trust to and what i did was after after a twilight shift um after the department uh became empty i um I made a video of myself, just did a, a, a selfie video of myself um, in in the children's and department where I work, um, wearing my hospital scrubs, um, just explaining why I supported Extinction Rebellion, um, and um, and also talking a little bit about the you know the strategy and the reasons why I supported it from a professional point of view, as well as from a personal point of view, because because of the link between. Um, climate change and public health and, and my duty as a doctor to, to to act when I'm concerned about um concerned about um you know human human health being affected. Um and um and I think um one of the one of the later days in the rebellion um I did a, a live interview for Sky News and then later that day um I was woken up by my educational supervisor who said that the son had been in touch with the trust. Um, and uh, and asked them about the video that that, that I'd made, um, and I didn't rea- realise it. But actually, making the video, even though I'd anonymised uh, and taken taken away any reference to to which trust I worked at um, in the video, um, the fact that it was you know I was able to have been linked to my place of work um, was a was a, ended up being a breach of the trust's social media policy. Um, so um, so they um, my educational supervisor asked me to delete the video from from my social media accounts and then um uh, a week later i had to to meet with the director of medical education just to sort of explain what happened and and what i'd done and you know i i don't deny that i broke the social media policy i was i was unaware of it at the time and i, and I apologized and and took the video down um and i think there were um some people in the trust who who saw that saw my actions as a potential you know um problem in terms of bringing the trust into disrepute um but a, lo- a lot of my colleagues actually you know the the conflict that 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 that, that generated actually drew a lot of my com- uh of my colleagues out of silence and people came out in support of me which which i thought was really interesting um, mm. um and, and in a way that's sort of part of the strategy of extinction rebellion is that it aims to cause dilemma and, and conflict and and through that um through that brings people um out onto the streets or brings people out in the open, makes people make statements supporting the, the aims of the organisation. Yeah, it has been effective at that, at, at making people come off the fence, as it were. 
Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, one of, one of my colleagues said that, came up to me proudly and said, you know, I think we'll be thanking you. You know, looking back on this, I think in 20 years' time, we'll be thanking thanking you for what you've done and well done. And, and, and you know, I'm going to sell, sell my Land Rover. Um, I thought that was quite a nice um, little anecdote. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, and, and you know, lots of lots of colleagues of you know people who I've previously worked in have got in touch and said, you know, actually, I haven't really thought about this before, but this is a really important issue, and and um, and you've sort of galvanised me into action on this. Um, uh, and I think that's I think that's really good. And we've got we've now got a Doctors for XR um, group that's been set up. Uh, XR is Extinction Rebellion, and 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 there are now more more than 200 doctors who want to get involved in in um, supporting Extinction Rebellion's direct action tactics. Um, um, and, and I expect that, that that sort of movement within our profession will um, will grow exponentially. Um, because I think, you know, climate change is something that, that you know, it's, it's I think, the biggest public health um, threat that we face as a, as a, as a human race, really. And, um, and lots of doctors are already motivated to wanting to take action. And I think the success of Extinction Rebellion has really sort of galvanised a lot of doctors towards getting wanting to get involved further. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's great to be part of a, a movement that's kind of active and that's actually being successful at, at making change. The BMJ hosts the UK Health Alliance on Climate Change. And one of the founder members of that organisation is Robin Stott, a doctor with a long history of activism. He also co-wrote that editorial with Rowan Williams. Robin joined me in the studio to talk a bit about the history of doctors in nonviolent direct action and why he thinks the medical profession can be useful in channeling the energy of this activism into evidence-based change. My name is Dr. Robin Stott. I'm a retired consultant physician uh, and have been involved in campaigning to try and mitigate the disastrous effects of climate change for over 30 years now. And um, uh, most recently you've written about uh, Extinction Rebellion and the protest going on in schools and an editorial in the BMJ. Um, now, your campaigning has uh, so far not been uh, in that sort of direct action way. Well, I actually have quite a long history of civil disobedience oh, activism I'm sorry. I um, because I was involved in the anti-nuclear movement uh, from the 1970s or 60s, I guess, onwards, and um, was very closely involved with um, the International Physicians Prevention of Nuclear War. Um, so uh, I feel that I have, all my life, wanted to protest against um, issues, global issues, which seem to me to imperil health. Um, as a health professional, um, although I was a physician, so really treating people mostly, I felt keenly that we had a responsibility to ensure that the circumstances in which people live were uh, health-promoting. And clearly nuclear weapons, if they'd gone off, would have been extremely inimical to that. And my strong belief is that climate change is already happening. So at one level, it's even worse than nuclear weapons because we can see the unfolding disaster. And so I felt keenly we should do something about it. Uh, Honourable physicians for 30 years, uh, 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 
key amongst whom are the previous editor, the present editor of the BMJ and the editor of the Lancet have been talking about these issues and we have tried very hard to engage with government, with the health service, uh, with all manner of people and wider communities and have seen not much happen, to be fair. Um, And the reasons for that are multiple, I understand, uh, but nonetheless the urgency of the situation is getting greater and greater and so um, really we felt that we had to do even more than many people were doing or I say we I and many other people uh, like me um, because there are many doctors who, who support this approach um, and uh, it was one of the most heartening days of my life when I saw the school children get up and do something because it provoked a frisson in government which I hadn't seen before and this of course then was it paralleled by and morphed into and and actually worked with Extinction Rebellion mm. um, and uh, my belief is that um, th- that those actions uh, have provoked uh, discussion fruitful discussion in a way which nothing else has over the last 20 years or so mm. of course there's a very honourable tradition of non-violent direct action um, in the face of uh, what are incontrovertibly evils, the slave trade, women's suffrage, uh, the anti-nuclear movement, uh, the imperialist movement in India, um, and uh, is a very good historical precedent for uh, these movements. And were medics involved? And I mean, you've talked about, obviously, the uh, Doctors Against uh, Nuclear Weapons, but um, for those other ones, those more historical ones, were medics I'm not involved? sure about the slave trade. Um, Richard Smith is, 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 a, is an expert on the involvement of health professionals in this, and, and I, I, I know he's gone into it. I don't, I'm afraid I'm not clear whether a health professional, I'm sure there were some who were. Um, and as far as the suffragettes were concerned, I know there were some, obviously, some very powerful female women voices, uh, medical voices in that uh, movement. Um, uh, but I think that I don't know of a coordinated group such as there was in the anti-nuclear movement and such as there is now um, in the uh, movement to try and uh, at least mitigate against the worst excesses of climate change. Mm. Do you think there's something that's particularly powerful about, you know, if a protester, a doctor, a lawyer, someone who has potentially, you know, greater downstream consequences of it, attending uh, a demonstration like this and really sort of nailing their colours to the mast? Is there something about the profession that you think... I'm not sure, actually. It's interesting you should say that. Um, I think I would like to ask the students if they felt it helpful. I'd like to ask Extinction Rebellion if they felt it helpful. I think sometimes us professionals can be rather self-promotional and think we have more importance than we have. Um, And, um, I mean, I think that the evidence is in front of us, actually. It was the students in Extinction Rebellion that provoked um, what happened, Mm -hmm. not doctors or health professionals. Um, So I would like to see us as um, offering um, vigorous and and effective support, uh, um, and in a way only if we're wanted, um, I think there are other things we can do, uh, but um, I, I don't think we should uh, push ourselves onto these. I do think there's an important issue, though, which is that the health dimension of the climate change issue is poorly understood. And my, my impression is, and I, uh, I tested this with a number of 
community groups that actually if we managed to tailor the health consequences in a way which was resonant with the particular groups, the RSPB or the Women's Institute or the National Trust or the school children, then it would be helpful and advantageous for them to use those messages um, to advance their cause. So there's a role there for doctors to kind of tailor some of these slightly seemingly esoteric or, or remote messages to to actually you know the individual for me that's the most important thing doctors can do in another way and we'll, we're getting away from support for the extinction rebellion here and, and sort of talking more widely about climate change um you are one of the people that was sort of instrumental in setting up the uk uh health alliance on on climate change yes. bringing together various groups the lancet the yes. bmj the medical royal colleges yes. to sort of uh Talk about this. What was the aim of that? What were you trying to do with that? Um, uh, when we first started 12 years ago, goodness me, 12 years ago, maybe not, um, uh, we formed a thing called the Climate and Health Council. And, and I have to give credit to Fiona Godley here, who's been amazing in um, helping and supporting and nourishing this. And the objective of that was to uh, assemble the health professional voice to do three things to um, uh, really marshal all the evidence um, on what the impact of, on health for climate change was and the co-benefits of action. And then to do, say, we as a health professional need to try and influence the political process. And I think it's true there that we do have an advantage because um, many of the supporters uh, have access to the political levers of power. Uh, the second thing we needed to do was to educate ourselves and the wider medical fraternity um, because many of us are not aware of the uh, uh, predicaments we're in or indeed of the co-benefits of action. And the third thing, and the most difficult, is to was to try and disseminate this information to a wide community of people. Um, and we thought that bringing together a coalition of colleges would be the most effective way of doing this. Um, I think uh, we recognise that starting with the immediate air pollution was probably a sensible thing to do. We've always linked that to climate change, and we'll do so, and then moving on to active transport, and then moving on to food and food systems. Um, because just as a... Um, I don't know if you're going to ask me whether well, how I think we can get to carbon net zero by 2030, but... Um, I think there are two important things there. It's First of all, it's net zero, not carbon zero. And some people misconstrue this. I heard an interview on the Today programme where uh, a prominent interviewer, whose name I won't mention, went on and on about carbon zero. That is not what we're asking for 2030. It's carbon net zero. And the key there is that we want to make best use of the natural sinks, um, agroforestry, and particularly farming. Um, because we know that moving to regenerative farming, we know that that leads to a sequestration of carbon in the soil and a regeneration of soil, which would allow, if, if we moved rapidly to regenerative agriculture over the next 10 years, we would get to carbon net zero, in my view. Um, and so incentivizing all of us to do that is something I think health professionals should do. Mm. And I was going to say, this is there's an interesting sort of... Mm. You know, you, we talked about the 
I don't know, almost the impetus coming from protest now. Mm. Uh, but that energy has to be channeled into effective yep. change. And, yes. and maybe that's part of the role of the health professional yes. sort of signposting what some of those... Well, I think that the, this is a, a, a very important point again. And, and I give testimony again to the Lancet uh, Commission, um, which... which um, um, Richard Horton set up and which uh, Nick Watts now uh, directs, um, which has been assembling data across the world about A, what is happening in countries who are reducing their carbon, hopefully, um, and B, what the implications for the direct implications for health of that are. You've been listening to Rowan Williams, Alex Armitage, and Robin Stott explain why they support Extinction Rebellion and why medical professionals can make an important difference in that campaign. The editorial that Robin Stott and Rowan Williams have co-authored with Fiona Godley and Richard Smith, School Children's Activism is a Lesson for Health Professionals, is now available on bmj.com, along with the opinion article, Just 11 Years to Avert Disaster, by Alex Armitage. I'll include links in the podcast text. That's it for this episode. We'll be back next week looking at gambling and supporting parents of children with challenging behaviour. As always, subscribe so you don't miss out on that. You can find us in the usual podcast places, including now, finally, Spotify. Until next time, I'm Duncan Jarvis, Multimedia Editor for the BMJ. Thanks for listening. <laughs>